Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. When did you get posted to the F-8 Crusader? Well, I went to flight training uh, in 1963. And everybody goes through different pipelines, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. in the training command. And uh, at the completion of that, when you are awarded your golden wings for naval aviators, uh, then you'll receive a set of orders, and obviously, wherever you're going to, depends on what kind of airplane you're going to be flying. Uh, naval aviation is a little unusual in that it has numerous options, if you will, once you're designated, uh, that they have the carrier-based tactical aviation, but uh, then they have a land-based multi-engine uh, option. And then the third one is a flying helicopter. So very diverse. And not everybody goes through the same chain in the training command, depending at certain decision times about which, which pipeline you're headed for. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> from the beginning, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. So uh in, in in my estimation things worked out really well for me so you obviously got posted to the f8 so what were your first thoughts of the aircraft well the f8 uh let me back up a little bit is you have to understand the whole organization of naval aviation at that time from the carrier base standpoint uh they would have a all the airplanes on the carrier deck on any individual carrier are all from the same organization called an air wing. Now the air wing would normally be made up of two squadrons designated as fighter squadrons and then the number of attack squadrons would be uh, a little bit flexible but usually at least three other squadrons that are designated as attack squadrons. So in the fighter community back then they had basically going down a philosophy that they had night fighters and day fighters and when the f-8 was initially introduced to the to the navy it was classified as a day fighter uh, the night fighter or the all-weather fighter was being handled by other designs at the time and so uh, that was going to change very quickly. In fact, it changed before I got to the fleet. The F-8 became, they really no longer had Dan night fighters. The F-8 was considered an all-weather fighter. And the reason is that how 
the fighters get the all-weather designation was the introduction of radar that was essentially a search, track, and missile guidance radar. Right. Whereas the F-8 initially, initial models of the F-18, excuse me, the F-8 had a radar, but it was only a ranging radar, which was used for the gun site and had no search capability. Well, as the various models of the F-8 came online, they ended up with more capable radar. And the squadron that I went to, we had the latest version of the F-8. At the time, it was called the 2NE, and it had a relatively capable search and track radar, although the F-8 never got a radar-guided uh, <clears throat> forward-firing missile. So could you tell us a bit about your ground training on the F-8? That must have been quite intense. Well, for anybody coming out of the training command, uh, the, the biggest challenge that lied ahead was to uh, have big uh, pilot in, in a squadron that is deployed on the carrier, because that changes the whole game as far as what, what you need to perform, if you will, in order to, to uh, hold up your end of the bargain. So in the Crusader rag, uh, there was a strong emphasis on uh, fighter tactics, uh, air to air, if you will, uh, and basically uh, the the F eight had an established a reputation as a very demanding airplane to land on the carrier. So that was obviously an area where, as you go through the training squadron, they try to do the best they can to simulate what it's like to operate off the carrier, but obviously the simulation never really does the true, uh, true thing justice. Mm -hmm. And the big, the big challenge in carrier aviation from a landing standpoint is operating at night. And you get some exposure to that before you reach the point where you're expected to do it. And, but it's in all respects, it's rather limited. You get uh, each landing that you arrest on a carrier, it's called a trap. And you have to successfully do six traps at night in the airplane in order to qualify. Well, that, <laughs> that's hardly enough to make you real comfortable in the environment. So let's talk about your first flight. Can you remember it? And what was it like having that afterburner? Well, that was the other aspect of it, the training command. <clears throat> I essentially went through the entire pipeline that would be, that ended up in being able to go to fighters. And, but in the initial primary training, basic training and advanced training, all of them had models of airplanes that had a two-seat two uh, option, if you will. Mm -hmm. And when I say two-seat, it had flight controls in both cockpits. So when you were introduced to the airplane, uh, 
you would have a uh, instructor sitting behind you and what have you. The only time you, they deviated from that was the last airplane that you flew. In my case, it was a F-11, which was a Grumman airplane. And it, there was never a two-seat version. So the first time you flew the airplane was all by yourself. And coincidentally, it was the first airplane you flew with an afterburner. And so, and a very limited experience with that, something that my recollection is, you got about 20 hours in the airplane, but it was air-to-air gunnery and tactics and whatever. So it was very worthwhile. Now going to the F-8 uh, was a whole different ball game because to compare the afterburner and the F-11 with that of the F-8 was uh, night and day. <laughs> and uh, the history of the F-8, only one airplane was ever built with a second cockpit in it. And that was a, uh, a road that the Navy decided not to go down. So it was, in essence, the first time you flew the airplane, you were all by yourself. And the first time you let the afterburner you were all by yourself. So it was quite an experience. But uh, at that point in your career, you're quite capable of hand handling that situation. Absolutely. So let's talk about how the um, F-8 handled and what were its strengths and weaknesses? Well, the whole, when you get to fighter aviation, and certainly in the Navy standpoint, there's a lot of things that are important in the, in the airplane. Uh, not the least of which is the performance and the handling qualities. And both of those were uh, significant upgrades to what had preceded it, particularly in the performance area. So uh, you got quite comfortable with the airplane. And the, the biggest challenge continued to lie ahead, and that was operating at night off the carrier, particularly at night. So that must have been, yeah, quite scary. But uh, yeah, talk, let's talk about some of your um, initial flying training. So yeah, what would you be conducting in this training phase before you went to your frontline squadron? Well, they have, they, as you can imagine, they divide up the syllabus into sections that initially is just the fam to get out and fly the airplane and what have you, then you would have sprinkled throughout the training was air-to-air -air combat, because that was a primary mission of the airplane. Uh, you did get a chance to do air-to-air -air gunnery with the airplane. Uh, at the time, it was a single-mission airplane, and it had no air-to-ground capability other than the uh, strafing with the 20-millimeter uh, guns that the airplane had. So you go through these various phases. I, I should, another one would be instrument training, where you would fly uh, on the airways or anywhere at night or in weather or whatever to, to uh, generate proficiency in flying the airplane on instruments. So let's talk a bit about, yeah, because obviously it was a carrier-based aircraft as well. So talk us about, you know, how, how your training to land and take off a carrier, like, because you mentioned before, but that must have been, like, absolutely terrifying, to be honest. 
Well, it, it's one. It's it's a known challenge for everybody that is going to uh, a carrier-based platform, whether it be attack or fire or whatever. And so, uh, the day the the practicing landing, what they do is they'll designate an outline field somewhere that there's a carrier deck painted on the runway, and there's a uh, lens, an optical landing system, just as exactly what you have on the carrier. Mm-hmm. And so you go out and you practice there in the daytime, but they also try to, to select a location that there's not a whole lot of uh, population around, mainly because ideally you don't want any other lights, for instance. So of uh, civilization, if you will, because that gives you uh, some information that you won't have when you go to the ship. Mm-hmm. So what they had in uh, uh, where I went through at Cecil Field down in Florida, they had a very effective outline field. And when I say effective, there were cases where people would go on their first hop which would be be dedicated to practice landings, and they couldn't find the field. Uh, But you you get accustomed to it, and once again, it does the best they can to simulate the carrier environment, but uh, that basically uh, that nothing is like the carrier. So... So let's talk about your first frontline squadron. And what was it like being, like, you know, posted to that first frontline squadron? Like, now I'm part of, like, you know, like a team here. What was that like for you? The squadron I was assigned to was deployed. And in other words, they were already on the carrier uh, over in the med. And so, uh, ideally... You'd, you'd like to join a squadron that's in the workups because it just builds your time in the airplane and gets you more familiar with it. But you get, uh, when you're uh, ordered to a deployed squadron, you're thrown in the briar patch right away. It was additional part of the challenge, but the squadron I went to was, was uh, extremely strong. Uh, fighter squadrons, all squadrons, uh, vary a little bit in their overall uh, reputation and what have you. I, I was very fortunate to go to an extremely strong squadron, which means that the people that are bringing you along are very highly qualified. Yeah, so talk us through uh, DACT or ACM and the FAs and how did it fare against, you know, the types of the time? Well, that was one of the things they emphasized in, the, uh, in going through the training squadron. And the F-8 had, uh, was an excellent airplane in terms of maneuverability, performance, what have you. And so what tactics you would use, that's part of learning to be a fighter pilot, is everything is driven by who is the adversary. And so they try to give you a little, a little bit of uh, uh, exposure to various different platforms 
because depending on the platform depends on how you would uh, employ the F-8 against it. Uh, the other characteristic of the F-8 is that to get the maximum performance of the airplane, and this is true of all airplanes, you have to uh, fly it very close to the uh, maneuvering margins. And the penalty of exceeding those is the airplane potentially could uh, depart controlled flight. And the F-8 had a great reputation for that because if you ventured into that, uh, the airplane could do virtually anything, including you know, tumble and what have you. It just was a, a real experience. And I had a unique experience, or unique for me, is that the training squadron decided that they needed to expose all the students to out-of-control flight. Right. So I happened to be in the syllabus at the, at the proper time and was one of the first students to, to go through this, where you would go out and intentionally depart the airplane and then recover it. And the flight was very successful, but I'll have to admit that in the debrief, when the instructor would ask you to describe each time you departed the airplane, basically it was very difficult to tell because <laughs> just was something that at that point all you're worried about is recovering the airplane. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a good idea, but I was one of the few students that did it, I was told, after I had left the training squadron, and, and, and not too many people had gone through the syllabus, they deleted that part of it. Right. Because the, the strategy there is to teach the student how to recover the airplane. And they had some very close cases with other students, so mm -hmm. they deleted it. How did the engine perform in the F-8? Was it the right engine for the aircraft? Yeah, I, it definitely was. It, it, it represented the technology that was available at the time. It was the J-57. It had a lot of, a lot, by those standards in that day, it had an awful lot of thrust. It was, once again, representative of the current technology in that the, the fuel control was all uh, mechanical. Uh, it was reliable. Uh, and so they later on, uh, Chance Watt went and uh, built a one, one airplane that was going to be the follow-on for the F-8. And they put a J-75 in it, which was a J-57 on steroids. <laughs> and the performance, performance, as you might imagine, was incredible. So for the technology that was available, the J-57 was a great engine. Mm -hmm. So was it, talk us through the cockpit. Was it comfortable uh, for you as a pilot? Yeah, it had a very, very roomy cockpit, if you will. And they had... Uh, paid attention in the design, so the field of view out of the cockpit it, uh, it was was certainly good. Uh, but this was before the advent of bubble canopies, which obviously 
uh, optimizes the view in all quadrants. So, but uh, it was a very comfortable cockpit. What was it like being, uh, you know, in the F8 on board, on the boat? Am I saying boat or is it ship? I always get these confused. Well, there's all kinds of names for, for <laughs> the boat, the, uh, the ship, uh, whatever. Uh, it was a highlight of my entire life because the camaraderie and the uh, trust and admiration you have for everybody around you has never been replicated. I mean, if you stop to think about that, the simple act of just launching and recovering on the airplane involves a whole lot of people starting at the squadron level of people that maintain the airplane. But then when you get to the airplane on the flight deck, there are all kinds of people with specific tasks on the flight deck. The uh, astounding thing was that to the majority, the average age of these troops that were out there that taxied you around, hooked you up, made sure that you were correctly hooked on the catapult uh, when you recover to you know, help you clear the landing area, what have you. The average age was less than 20. Wow. And these folks, not, it was amazing to me because the flight deck always has, when you're doing flyouts, there's always wind over deck. Weather is, it could be raining, could be sleeting, could be almost anything. And these troops worked extremely long hours and almost without exception, always had a smile on their face. So really? it, it was just uh, wonderful people. And was there much banter on the ship, the boat, uh, between other types of aircraft that were on that carrier? Well, to say that there's a rivalry would be an understatement. <laughs> and so it took away in the fighter community that when you were operating and any other airplane that you could find in the area came across was fair game. And so basically... What you would do is 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 to jump them, if you will, and try to maneuver till they're till they're six o'clock. So it was great training for lookout doctrine. It was great training for all the pilots in the airway because having a good lookout doctrine is very very important to survival uh, in a hostile environment. The flying was uh, just. Very demanding, but very satisfying. Mm -hmm. And which is, I mean, this phrase or the statement goes around. Do you think the F-8 was the last of the gunfighters? Well, that that was uh, certainly people in the F-8 community believe that. I would be one of them. But, you know, the, the wisdom or the accuracy of the statement is borne out by the the uh, fighter that replaced the F.A. Was the, was the Phantom. And the Navy Phantom never got a gun. Mm -hmm. And it was exercising the philosophy, uh, a flawed philosophy, that dogfighting was a thing of the past and there wasn't any reason to have a gun. And 
that turned out to be obviously recognized as incorrect, as evidenced by the F-14 and the F-18, which were the following fighters, both of them had an internal gun. Mm -hmm. So did you ever take the F-8 into combat or live theater? No, I was on the wrong coast. I was on the East Coast. And uh, what the Navy was doing at that time is rotating an East Coast carrier over to the Western Pacific on a rotational basis. And we were scheduled to go as an air wing. This is after we had transitioned to F-4s. And, and then before, uh, and it turned out that the carrier was slipped one one slot, and that put it after I had left left the squadron for my set of my next set of orders. So yeah, you, I'm I'm going to guess you have so many memorable stories here, Kurt. But can you maybe like uh, share one or two with our viewers of your time on the Crusader? Well, we we enjoyed enjoyed the airplane. It it attracted a certain breed of pilot, which I certainly enjoyed being in their company. Uh, everything was about pride in your performance. And so you were always working as hard to be the best you could. Uh, you, always, you always felt you had the best airplane in the airline. Mm -hmm. You had the best squadron in the airline. And so... Uh, <clears throat> Having in a squadron is is just a highlight of the career of a naval aviator. So, how many hours did you get on the jet, and did you enjoy it? Very much so. I actually my exposure to the Crusader didn't end when I left the squadron. Well, excuse me. Well, I was still in the squadron. We the squadron transitioned to F fours to Phantoms. So, but that was the end of my F-8 time because when I went to test pilot school and then was assigned as a test pilot at Patuxent River, uh, I, I did an awful lot of work with the modifications to the Crusader. So I don't know what my total number of hours, I've never, never been one to, uh, some aviators will be able to put to the nearest tenth of an hour or the... <laughs> How many landings day and night they had? I'm not one of them. I, uh, but I, I know on my first cruise I ended up with over a hundred landings. So with that, just stick. That's a a, a a event for an aviator because then you become a centurion. In other words, you've made a hundred landings on the same ship. But other than that. Uh, I, I, I can't quote the numbers. <laughs>